and a very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Over the coming weeks and months, I will introduce you to a diverse range of voices from across many sectors in Limerick society. Some you'll know, others maybe not so much. I hope this podcast will capture the voices of those who see Limerick as home. I hope to get an understanding of what makes them tick and to discover their hopes and dreams for Limerick at a time when so much opportunity is in our grasp. The official definition of posterity relates to all future generations of people. These people of the future could be your children, your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, or any people born after you. So every decision we make today, be it by those in power, in business circles, or in community development, will affect the lives of those coming behind us. This podcast will tell people stories, capture their voices for posterity, and delve into the ideas, ambition, and hopes that they have as we prepare for and sow the seeds for the limerick of tomorrow. I hope you join me on this journey. I hope you enjoy listening to the stories you hear. And most of all, I hope some of what you hear will inspire you. Do get in contact with me if you have any suggestions for future guests, questions I might ask, or just general feedback on the show. So I'm delighted to welcome to the studio C. Kule Kile Ruth Nlovu, who's recently been appointed the new Regional Development Officer in the Midwest region for Sanctuary Runners. She's a student of Business Studies, Accountancy and Finance at the University of Limerick and has been with the Sanctuary Runners in Limerick, and we'll come back to them in a little while, since 2019, and has been a long-time advocate for people living in direct provision and access to opportunities, services and equality. Originally from Zimbabwe, Ruth has been living in Ireland since 2015. Ruth, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, Nigel. Ruth, talk to me a little bit, first of all, about... I want to find out about your background. Where did you come from? What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Family, things like that. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. your youth. So, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, and I was raised by in a Christian background, and more like mother and father type of culture thing. Uh, I can't really go much into my claims of asylum because I came into Ireland and I seek for uh, asylum. And from there, I've been in direct provision from 2019, 2015 to 2019. Um, but really, when growing up, I grew up as a lovely, outspoken child, child that one that everyone is scared for, like, oh, is she going to make it high school? She's too much, she's too hyper, she's too talkative, um, you know, stepping on people's toes in terms of if I don't like something, I have to be the one saying it out loud. Why can't you let <laughs> this one go? But it's pretty much like that. But I grew up in a loving environment, knowing that... Um, I'm a human being and I'm not in this world on my own. I have people that I have to look out for. Sometimes people, they say that I tend to care too much about other people more than care for myself. But that's the type of background that I grew up in. And what about family, brothers, sisters? Uh, I recently found out that I'm from a family of six. 
I thought that it was just the two of us, but now it's six. Really? Five girls, one brother. So yeah, uh, I I knew that I had brothers and sisters, but I never met them until I went back after uh, four years in our provision. So I went back to see them and I met them. It was really nice. So. I want to find out, because obviously you've mentioned, I didn't mention it early on, but you know, you talked about coming to Ireland as an asylum seeker. I mean, at what point in your life, I mean, what, what age are you now? I'm 28 years old. So 28 years of age. At what point in your life did you know that possibly you needed to seek asylum? It was not an, an a decision that I made. It was more of a forced decision based on the situation that we're currently facing at home. And talk to me a little bit about that. What was the experience? It was it was hard because my mother's house, my family house was burned down and we really had to live. I left my little sister in South Africa. So the aim was we had to sell, like I'm from a family uh, farming background. So my mother had to sell some of the livestock like cows and goats so that she can flee us out of the country. And then from there moved to, the aim was to come with my little sister, but the money wasn't enough for us to cross both of us. And, and what age were you around this time? I was 21. 21 years of age? Yes. And before that, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been living your life, you're living yeah. with a family. Had there been any point where you, you, you could see this coming? Talk to us a little bit about the political situation that's over there and what, what do you have to face? Like, there's quite a lot that you have to face because one, in in Zimbabwe, there it's more like, um, it's not a democratic country. It's more like authoritative. You, you listen, it's even, you see it even in families that you have no, you have no voice. You have to listen to whatever your parents are telling you. You have to, you don't have a voice to say anything or raise out any issues. So the political side, I really can't get much into it because it's it's tough. It's dangerous for me to even speak about it. And I don't know much of involvement, how much involvement my parents were, but I knew that it was related to religion and also the political side in terms of PF and MTC and all stuff like that. So you're 21 years of age and suddenly now you have to change fundamentally your life yeah. radically. Yes. Give us an understanding of that process when it, the process started and then right up to the moment of arriving in Ireland for the first time. At that moment, for me, it felt like, okay, I am growing literally. I'm, I'm moving on and I'm taking responsibility. And when I was told that, uh, okay, just like at home, y y there is border jumping. So you cross to South Africa, most people would cross illegally and stuff like that. But when that happened for me, when I reached South Africa, I was like, okay, this environment is not safe either. There's a lot of xenophobia and stuff like that, attacks and stuff like that. So I felt, I didn't feel safe at that moment. Then when I had to leave my little sister, that hurt me so much that I kept on trying to find ways on how I can bring it and alternative ways on how I can say, okay, can I reach out to different people that to say, okay, can you please help my sister and let's move her to a bit of a safer place. But there was nothing much. I was not financially stable and I'm still not financially stable to do that even right now. Right now. Yeah. And so you left on your own? Yes, I, I did. But there was uh, someone that was accompanying me. Okay, yeah. and Ireland, how did that come about? <laughs> you don't choose. It's more like um, they tell you, okay, there is a place, get ready. Next week, uh, there will be passport arranged for you. Next week, you're going to Ireland. Oh, oh. okay. 
yeah, uh, get this ready, that, that, and that, and that, and that. Everything you 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 more like taken as a child, whether you are an older person or uh, I'm I'm talking based on my own experience. You are told that okay, right now go to this place, do this and that and that, and then go back home. Go to this place. I'll meet you at the airport. I'll do this and that and that. That's pretty much it. And you get put in a plane. Literally, for me, I was accompanied, so I was not on my own. So at least I had someone who was doing the talking for me. Doing the talking for you. Yes. And tell me, you landed. Was it Shannon Airport? No, Dublin. Uh, Dublin Airport. And the first experience of Ireland. What happens? The first experience, I was left on my own at a hostel. And the guy left a note um, to say that you have to go and claim for asylum. That's the best that I can do to help you with. So literally, I went to a hostel and then uh, the place where I was, the days came to an end and I was like, okay, please can you direct me to the immigration part? So that's how. And when you seek asylum, you walk into... I went to the Department of Justice, I think in Dublin. Um, I don't know which, which Dublin, but literally... Um, Mount Mount Joy Street or something like that, around along that side. Yes, that's where I went. So. And so, when you walk in, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. You're in a country you've never been to. It's thousands of miles away from home, and you have to walk into a place and say, "I want to claim for asylum." And I couldn't even pronounce the word asylum. <laughs> <laughs> so when I went in there, I was like, "I want to claim for asylum," and they were like, "What?" I'm like, "I want to claim for asylum," and then they were like. Aren't you supposed to be with parents? I'm like, I know, because I was really tiny and they thought that I was maybe 15 or 16 when I came in. Um, And after that, I just went in, they were like, they questioned me, they had a lot of questions because the person took the passport back, so I didn't have any documentation. So your passport is removed from you? Yeah, I didn't have, that was not a correct passport anyway. And so therefore, you pretty much have no identity then? Yes, the only thing that I had was my ID from Zimbabwe and my birth certificate. Ruth, as a young 21-year-old mm-hmm. girl doing that for the first time, I mean, what goes through your mind? I mean, how does it feel to do this and to know, as you said earlier, your identity has been taken from you and you don't know what the future is going to hold? Honestly, at that moment, there was a, a, a bit of hope there was an excitement, a relief that at least that's minus one problem for my mother. At least I know that I'm at a bit of a safer place, even though I don't know where the journey is taking me. At that moment, I felt a bit of relief. I felt a bit of a safety net at that moment. I was like, okay, by next week or by three weeks' time, definitely I will try and make sure that my little sister is here. That place where I left her, it's not safe. Did you ever feel a sense of guilt for leaving and leaving them behind? I still do. And how do you cope with that? Uh, some people would think that maybe I over overcompensate in terms of trying to help them out because it's really not easy knowing that, like, I would live on... I live on two or three, for instance, because I'm on back to education. I'll try to work maybe 20 hours a month to substitute that. But whatever that I do, I still have to pay rent for them for like 500 euros a month. And my mom can't work because her feet. I've moved it to South Africa as well now. 
So it's now my sister. But you know that now your family, at least in some regard, are safe at the moment. They're not in any danger. Yes. And you're here doing your best to set your life up and hope that in time they so, could either come here or you could possibly go back, but certainly maybe financially support them. Yes. It's It's a really fascinating thing to listen to somebody who is put in a situation like that. I mean... I travelled recently to a, to a country after COVID and went on my own. Mm-hmm. And I found the experience strangely bewildering in the sense that I was on my own as a traveller. I'd pretty much been in a place for two years with COVID locked down. Yes. And I found it as an adult male, you know, mature person, mm-hmm. a real challenge. You're now in Dublin. How did you end up in Limerick? Oh God, how I ended up in Limerick. I so when I came for asylum I was transferred to a place called Barseskin. Then Barseskin I stayed for the for, I did the medical test and all stuff like that. Then I was transferred to Killarney. I st- and I presume this is a direct provision centre in Killarney, yeah? Yes. So um I stayed in Killarney for two years, twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen, uh January the fourth of 2017 and I only moved from Kilani to Cork, Kinsale because I wanted education. I was like, I'm drowning in depression. I'm drowning in talking or trying to reach out. So when I when I got that opportunity, the funny thing was that I, I never lose I never lose hope for some weird reason, no matter how situ- how hard the situation is. I keep on telling myself, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. So I literally kept on trying because I wanted to be an accountant. I want to be an accountant so badly. I want education. I believe that I have so much to offer. I'm not just a burden. I'm not someone's burden. I want to do things for myself and provide for whoever I can. doesn't matter whether my family or anyone. So I did a level five in accounting, uh, manual and computerized accounting. And then I moved on to, um, I tried to do the apprenticeship. Then I was told that I do not have an identity. So I, I'm an international student. You do not have an identity. <laughs> yes. I'm an international student. So how do you identify yourself as an international student without a passport or anything? Yet I have a medical card and um, what do, what else? The PPS, which was the minimum requirements for that. But then I was like, you know what? That's fine. That's how I was transferred from Kilani to Cork. Then when I go to Cork, I realized that, oh no, you can't actually, they need about 6,000 of fees. Well, at least I was getting 19 euros, 10 cents by then a week. And I was not allowed to work. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I, I went on to... So just to stop you there, so in the direct provision, and we might go back to this in a minute, just to explain how direct provision works and what the lifestyle is for somebody. Yeah. In, but am I, am I right in saying that you are allowed to actually actively pursue education? You, you can do that, but you just can't work to raise any money to do it. Not really. You, it's just an, a recent thing that came out. I'm actually one of the first... Uh, um, recipient of a scholarship in the University of Limerick. So before before that, no one was allowed to enter the university or the third level education before us. So we we are called the sanctuary scholars. So it's more like they help they take students who are in direct provision or people that have been in direct provision or refugees to educate them or sponsor them into if give them a fee waiver. 
so that's pretty much it so you are not allowed unless it's literally maybe qqi level five or level four you can't progress more than anything like that things are starting to open up i can't talk about what's happening now because i'm a bit out of the situation but when i was there it was only level four level five or level three let's go back to the direct provision centers themselves yep you know Tell me about the day-to-day life in there, first of all. You mentioned about the amount of money that you're getting per week, but tell us about the experience of living in a place like that. Uh, it's an open prison. That's my definition because that's what I felt like. Um, because you are told that you must have your breakfast at between uh, seven, uh, between 8 and 9.30 that's one hour. So let's say you had a late night, whatever, whether you couldn't sleep or you doing, couldn't do whatsoever, you cannot have your breakfast at 11 uh, unless you go up and get milk and cereal and put it in your room. But you can't really get that because they'll be telling you you can't take your plates upstairs in your room. You know, there are so many... Rules. rules it, 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 on exactly. paper, it's supposed to be your home, but yes. the rules are regimental. Extremely. And you share with a complete stranger. Like, literally, you are told that... So no single room, you share with somebody? Yes. Literally, the space between... This is the normal space that will be between your bed as a stranger and my bed as a stranger. And we're looking at... And Ruth is pointing to the table here, which yeah. says about three quarters of a meter. Exactly. So, literally, when I'm sitting, uh, when I'm lotioning myself... I could touch the other bed. So if I want to sit, I'll have to sit on the other side. There is no privacy. But like enough, I grew up in a home where I was free and I was with other female. But you're talking about someone that you don't know. People, we talk about different issues. Like I, w- I had to share at some point with someone who was religious, who woke up around Ramadan, for instance. They pray for more than an hour. And I want to sleep because I have class in the morning. I couldn't do that. Because she'll be praying and she has to have the light on. So you are indirectly um, controlling each other. If I want to stay up and study until 3 o'clock in the morning and she wants to wake up at 5 o'clock and start cleaning her room or tidying up her bed and start singing. So no separate space for you to sit and read or to do anything that you might want to do in your own spare time. You have to be within your room, your your own room environment. Yes. And the only difference, they call it social room. Social room, you find people, most guys would actually go there because to watch soccer. Okay. Yeah. And you can't really travel more than three days because when you travel more than three days, you have to write a letter. And tell them where you're going, who you're going to, and their phone number. So you're literally a child in that situation. And how would you pass the day? I mean, you can leave. Mm-hmm. You can. You can you, during the day if like if you're around, but it's more like comes back to normal thing. You leave. I would leave, for instance, Friday. I may, most of the time, I would leave on Fridays because that's when I get paid. Maybe I'll go and get toiletries. I'll leave around. Now, you say you get paid. How much did you get paid? <laughs> 19 euros, 10 cents. 19. Yes. One nine. One nine and point 10, 10 cents. Cent. Yes. So you got paid on a Friday. Yes. And 19 euro. And that was excitement for you. Yes. It gave me hope uh, buying toiletries and... Um, try and save up and be grateful that at least I don't have to stress about heating. <laughs> so I listened to a podcast you did recently, or uh, sorry, a TED talk, and you spoke about, you know, okay, 
you get fed during the week in the provision centre. You get breakfast, you get lunch and you get dinner. Yes. And you made an interesting comment, which was that you had to accept the food that was given to you. Yeah. But not always was it... It wasn't food from Zimbabwe. It was a very different type of food. You, you, it was something you had to get used to. Yes. And yet you hadn't any money to actually physically go and get stuff mm-hmm. to cook your own exactly. traditional food. So, which again is taking that identity from you. It's forcing something. It's, it's really fascinating. Everything that you knew as a human being at 21 years of age was, was taken, taken from you. Yeah, literally, because even if you were to put the money thing aside, even if I was to say, okay, maybe I got myself a boyfriend or I have a lovely family that truly liked me, you're looking at things like, where are you going to cook the food if you were to get it? If I travel and say I'm going to spend some time at, over the weekend, I have to think about, oh, I have to come back and explain myself why did I leave and where am I at that moment. So it's not really only about the money. Even if I was to get a little bit of the type of meat that I want to eat with bones, you know, I can't do that. Wow. As time went on, I mean, you're starting to settle. You, you know, you're starting to understand the system. You speak about hope and I find it absolutely fascinating because you even smile when you talk about it. You know, what kept you going? I mean, what was it that you thought about every morning that said, you know what, I'm going to get through this? My mother. Wow. Uh, I know that she went through a lot for me to be where I am and she sacrificed quite a lot. So just thinking that I can't give up for her. How was your English when you arrived? It was pretty good. Oh, so you were lucky enough to come with the language, the, the language that we spoke. Yes. I, I, it's an interesting one because had you arrived and had no English, it would have made that experience even more difficult for you, wouldn't it? It would have made it extremely, and maybe maybe you wouldn't be even be talking to me because I know the frustration of even right now I'm in college and I try to explain something. My English is okay, but when I'm trying to explain certain things, some people don't get it. So I know the frustration of trying to say something across and then someone doesn't get it. It just pushes you to a corner that you're like, let me just shush and leave it for a moment. Then Sanctuary Runners came about. Now, I want to pop into this because people in Limerick might not have heard much about Sanctuary Runners. I came across them a number of years ago. Do you want to just tell listeners what Sanctuary Runners is? It's very simple, isn't it? Yes, it's quite simple. Central Runners, it's a program that, um, it's running in solidarity. You know, most of the time you find organizations or groups that come to people living in provision and be like, oh, we would like to integrate you, we would like to pull you into the community. And the question that you'd be asked, how did you come to Ireland? That's draining. But with Central Runners, there was that comfort of saying, let's go for a run. Okay. That's all. Put shorts on, shoes on, and let's yes, go for a let's run. Let's go for a run. That's it. Let's get some fresh air, come back tired as hell. And then tomorrow, at least you're going to have a good night's sleep. But because I knew that there was someone mm-hmm. out there who was willing to say, I'm not looking for anything from you. I'm not looking for you to explain yourself why you are here, the reasons who you left or why you're standing here today. We just want you to have some fresh of air and activate your mental health, have some breathing air. You are free to walk, but it's almost impossible for you to say that I'm taking a walk without thinking about your problems. And the important thing is that 
people, Irish people, Limerick people from various different walks of life yes. meet? What when when you used to meet? What day? Yeah, we used to meet. We meet on Mondays and uh, on Saturday we do the park run. But the park run. So what you do is Limerick you would meet at a well. certain point yes. and people from Limerick and people from direct provision would yes. gather together, including <laughs> dogs, because I used to see yes. you running regularly, including <laughs> one very big dog. Yeah. Um, but you used to just run together. Yes, we used to just run together and it was nice. It's still nice because you see pictures, you're like, oh, I'm gaining weight and I just you just think about okay, what can I do to be part of this? You're saying you're gaining weight because of the lethargy probably that you have if you're not, when you're just in a direct prevention centre. Exactly. Like even with post-COVID right now, uh, we're looking at things like um, so many people couldn't run together. But you know what Sancho Runners did? They would make it virtual. Like, oh, I ran my 5K, look at me, take a snap. Like it gives someone a, a reason to say, okay, I think I just need to get out of this couch. I've watched too much Netflix, you know. It, gave, it gives purpose. It gives a way of saying that we're not going to talk about it, but let's run it out. And what about the relationships you formed? I mean, you met friends, you met people who probably could guide you? <laughs> I, I've, I've met... I have second family because of, I literally, I can, I can literally say this, I got my first job in Ireland, something that make me feel like I'm dignified because of someone that I met in San Joranas. I've worked, I know that I put in work, but I know that if someone did not recognize the potential that I had in San Joranas, I wouldn't be here. Your um, time in direct provision came yes. to an end. What was the process? But like, how does that come about? I mean, was it five years? It was. I, I got my papers on the fourth of uh, December, twenty eighteen. But the second letter from the minister granting me the citizenship, it was the fourth of February, twenty nineteen. So a length of time. Uh, four years. Four going to years. five years. So 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19. Five years. Five years. Mm-hmm. And and in that time, so you literally arrive in Ireland and you're waiting in hope. Yeah. And I presume it doesn't always happen. You know, it doesn't necessarily, just because you're waiting in direct provision, it doesn't always guarantee that you will have... Papers. The papers. No, it okay. doesn't. So you spend that length of time, as you say, living in what you describe as an open prison, but not guaranteed that at the end of the process you won't be told, right, we're going to have to send you home. Yeah, you literally just have to keep on moving. You'll get people saying that I want to volunteer so that if maybe I get left to remain, um, I will have some references. So you see that thing, it's it's treating people or it's training people to kind of be manipulative and do things that it's not that I want to be there, I want to do this. They're doing it because they're thinking of the worst case scenarios. But I just had to tell myself that I have to look out for, I had to do something, otherwise I'm going to lose my mind, And which was education and integration. And I started my own group called Restart. Uh, and I run it through the University of Limerick because I got this opportunity to be a student. Not everyone has the same opportunity. And, and just explain to listeners, how did the opportunity with the University of Limerick come? So you've, you were doing your five years in direct provision. Yes. You're doing your best. Sanctuary Runners is opening your eyes to the possibilities and the goodness of Limerick people. Yes. And then tell me about the University of Limerick. How did it come about? So University of Limerick came before Sanctuary Runners. So University of Limerick... Um, I was in Cork and then I saw that University of Limerick is now offering scholarship to people that are living there. I applied, I was rejected. And then I sent this the course director emails for the whole week. 
telling her that if anyone cancels, if anyone cancels until the 4th of September, I think we're starting on the 6th of September, 2017. She was like, uh, can you start on Monday? Um, and I now living in Cox. So I had to commute for over um, a month before I was transferred to Henratis, which is a guy's hostel. So hang on a minute. So yes. you were in Cork on 19 euro a week. Yes. And you were commuting from uh, Cork to Limerick mm-hmm. uh, to study. To study uh, until I was transferred. So I kept on coming. I even went to the Henrites. Now tell me about Henrites. You were saying it's a male hostel. Yes, it is. Uh, it was only five females that were there. So the rest it was male. So that made a bit uncomfortable scenarios or uncomfortable things like. I wouldn't be able to dress up in a nice summer dress because I'm thinking of myself and how much danger am I putting myself. I'm staying with men that would obviously pave on me. That's the honest reality because you're talking about people that maybe haven't seen a woman in what? It's incredible. I mean, and I keep thinking about the word identity. So much of your identity is challenged by this experience. It is. And you're one. I want to read a little, just something that I found earlier on. In November 2019, there were approximately 6,000 people in 38 direct provision centres located across 17 counties in Ireland. And 1,500 were housed in emergency accommodation hotels and Mm B&Bs. And over 2,250 of those living in direct provision are children. I mean, when I think of the numbers and each one with an individual life and a story, and a story that's been a, a tragic story in some regards because they've had to leave what yeah. is fundamentally their identities behind. Huh. It's so challenging. It is. It, it's more like it's up to you whether you, you choose to, to bury that and be like, I'm going to reform my new identity, but I'm not burying it to say that it's dead. No, I'm letting it, like it's, it's like you're putting a seed inside yourself saying it, let it grow out. Let me water it. Let me, let me adapt to the way of doing things, but let me not forget who I am. And you know, when you talk earlier about Sanctuary Runners, and I really would ask that listeners look this up because it is a wonderful, wonderful organization. You realize that some of the centers, the asylums, the direct provision centers, they have limited exercise equipment inside or outside. And most asylum seekers that don't have them at all, and, and they don't partake in any organized sport or physical activity and what that, you know, your mind is already going to be struggling with anxiety and depression when you arrive into this scenario for the first time and to not have physical activity, as you say, to keep yourself motivated, Mm -hmm. what it must do to somebody's mind. It's dangerous. It's really, really, some people just lose it and you see people just walking, talking to themselves. But if you just go for a run, even seeing that Alfie dog, it makes you smile thinking that today I was bitten by a dog. It's it's something interesting. You have a conversation. But equally for a lot of Irish people as well, meeting people in direct provision and having the opportunity to meet them yeah. changes your changes the our perspective yes. of both what you are going through, mm-hmm. but you as a person. True. And it, there, I can imagine that there is a lot of people out there who like to put their head in the sand in regard to this issue and don't ask the questions and don't even shake the hand of the person who yeah. is here for the first time. And I mean, it, it's it's a fascinating experience. And I, 
it's it's actually quite emotional to listen to you talk about that, but with such passion and pride. Yeah. I want to come back to the University of Limerick yeah. because you got in, mm-hmm. you commuted, yes. you went to Hanretti's Hotel and you suffered. What was the next step? And um, I was like, I'm not going to be selfish. I am going to give back to the community. Someone believed in me. Someone believed that Skulele has capabilities of pulling this through. So I've dedicated the past five years into uh, the graduate uh, undergraduate program. So I had to do the mature student access certificate. So I was like, okay, how do I give my fellow community into um the community, bring them there. So I started Restart, which aims to integrate... It's called Restart. Yes. Uh, it's called Restart. Um, it's a social enterprise under Enectus UL. I just came back from the World Cup and I was presenting, which I feel very proud of it. So there's been a lot of achievement and a lot of downfalls, but really this week I chose to look at the upwards, not the downfalls. So as Restart came about integration because I, I was isolated i felt like there was no reaching hand so i was like let me give back uh, through education through um uh gardening and cooking people in direct provision are not allowed to cook people in direct provision are not allowed to do certain things so i was like what is it that we as people in direct provision do not have and the irish people that could be very not. easily provided yes so we're like okay i was like we're going to start Restart cooking, restart cooking, bringing all the different recipes in um, from different world like Zimbabwe, South Africa, Nigeria, and Asia. So we now have a cookbook. Wow. Yes, it's on our website, um, restartsocialenterprise.com. You are able to get it even on Instagram, you're able to get it as well. So if you go on Instagram or Facebook and Twitter, you'll be able to see that. And most importantly, the restart gardening was more of trying to say, how about we bring something? What does an Irish person do? Someone who loves to have a conversation. Irish people like to like to have a conversation while they're in the garden. I'm like, okay, there's a land in Noclash in one of the Dara Provision Centers. I'm going to reach out to them and make sure that we can try and see how about we use this Take land. Take a little patch of land in Noclashin and allow people to come and garden together and yes. meet. And we sold the food, whatever that we got, would sell it in the student courtyard in the University of Limerick. 2019. At the market? Yes, 2019 and beginning of 20, 20, 2018 and 2019. So that gave us a platform to actually be a, to create a revenue stream. But with that revenue, because it's a social enterprise, would... Uh, sponsor education, people that are in direct provision would offer maybe if someone is commuting, we'll be like, okay, we can give you uh, 50 euros or we can top up your lip card for the whole month or two months if you if you are volunteering with us and we are cooking with us. So really what the idea is, is to help people in direct provision. Yes. But also have the people in direct provision Show us what they're about too. Exactly, like upskilling and make it clear that into the Irish community that, listen, the fact that I am here, you must at least as smart and intelligent as people are out here, you must think that I'm very smart as well, that I was able to survive the the the, the challenges of the journey, the challenges of coming into here and still be able to do all of these things. All I need is a helping hand at this moment. All I need is for you to recognize my skill so that I do not binge on your money, your tax money. 
so that I do not become dependent on the system. I always keep on saying this. If you have trained me to live on 19 euros, 10 cents, how do you think that I'll be able to look for a for a job if I'm not getting to 203. And bring colour to the community of Limerick. Exactly. And that's the, that's the thing I see you and, and, and listeners, I mean, you're seeing a beaming face here. It's just so wonderful to watch a happy person. Now, you were recently appointed yes. the Regional Development Officer yes. for Sanctuary Runners in yes. the Midwest. Tell me about that. And by the way, congratulations. Thank you. Um, tell me what the job's going to entail. So the job, it's more likely... What I bring onto the table when I applied for this, it was more of I had to think about what will I, what did I want from, what do I want for myself as a sanctuary runner, what do I want for people who are actually using this as something to to get an activity of a day. So the job entails about bringing people together. We're trying to reach out into the corporate world and make it clear that, you know what, we are running, we are all about running at this moment. But if we're really into looking at this into a charity organization or a, a social enterprise, we need some sort of upskilling so that when the conversation we're running, the conversation when we're at, towards the end of the day, you're like, oh, no, guys, I have to go because tomorrow I have a meeting at nine o'clock. Not that, oh, tomorrow my breakfast is going to be late. You know, something like that. So we're trying to go from just being runners to something that brings value, to something that brings employment because people in Dural Provision now are allowed to work. People in Dural Provision now are allowed to do certain things like to go to education, reach out to corporate worlds like different companies and they we have so many big companies like striker dell uh, region so we can reach out to those companies and say how about you join us and then you see if we can put someone who's in data provision into um training or upskilling entry or? level exactly mm -hmm. upskilling something like that those are my ideas that's something but that I even think of you you know you came from a farming background I'm sure there's lots of guys out there who probably would be able to bring incredible farming skills incredible there's a lot you know there's, there's things that you forget these I remember meeting someone who came here and I used to have coffee in town and yeah. he was in direct provision and he used to come into the cafe and clearly didn't have much money but used to enjoy a coffee and eventually we all got to know him so he came and became part of our group yeah. but he'd been a dentist you oh know God. and to listen to the fact that this was a guy who was once a professional you know if he was in Ireland he'd be earning a fortune yeah. and yet he's sitting there sipping coffee and being treated treated as a person with no identity exactly and he's a dentist yeah. and it blew my mind yeah um it's really wonderful to listen to what you're doing Ruth and Thank I mean you. Tell me how your mum and your family are today. My mum hasn't been well for some time. I had to rush home in January to go and see her. But uh, I'm grateful that she is recovering. I have to Good. try my best and try and see if I get her medication. But she is very proud. And does, um, does technology help in terms of keeping in touch? Yes, a lot. Um, it's quite expensive, but... It's very, very handy because um, I stayed for almost, I started seeing her, I think, in 2019. That's when WhatsApp had video calls and stuff like that. That's when I think I started calling her on video and... Seeing would, her face. Yes, I would cry and call her and be like, oh, mom. So things like that. Um, 
the technology has been really, really helpful lately. This is the Posterity Podcast, and the word posterity obviously means, you know, after you're gone or people coming behind you. Yeah. What would you like your legacy to be? And, and it can be li- linked to Limerick or it could be linked to Judo's life in general. What is your legacy? What would you like it? What would you like people to think of you as? I want people to think of me as someone who has not just potential, someone who can make things happen. Because right now I'm going to graduate and I've been offered um, a graduate position in Dell Technology. So in, on the 15th of August next year, I'll be starting as a finance analyst. So I in want, Dell. yes, in Dell Technologies here in Limerick. So I want people to understand that, yes, my circumstances that brought me here has made me to be seen as someone who is entitled or who's robbing the system or whatever negative connotations that have people how people are described in war in Dara provision. But I will need you to understand that I have so much to offer. If you just give me a chance to to hear me out, to see my skills, see me as someone with potential, take me as a friend, take me as a child, take me as a sister and find out what can I offer back to the Irish community. Ruth, you're wonderful and a reminder to listeners, you know, I mean, there's direct provision centres in Limerick, in Clare, in Tipperary, in Galway, right on our doorstep. You're probably walking past people in Limerick City every day of the week who are going through a similar situation to Ruth. And it's super to listen to a story of success. Yeah. And I wish you all the very best. And I would ask as many Limerick people as possible, look up Sanctuary Runners Ask your boss, is there anything we can do to get involved in this or to get involved in helping people in direct provision? Because listening to Ruth's story, I I think that you'll all agree she's a wonderful person and deserves all the very best in life. So listen, thank you so much for coming into studio. Thank Um, thank you for giving me your time. The very best of luck with Sanctuary Runners and in Dell when you start. And um, I think we'll be hearing a lot more about you. Ruth, thank you. Thank you very much. You mind yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. Produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra. If you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests, you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post. Limerick Post.